Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into Taoism, including the ancient texts of Tao Te Ching, to uncover its timeless wisdom and discuss how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm Ian Felton, a practicing psychotherapist, and I'm joined by my co-host, executive coach David Wong. Morning, David. Good morning. How are you? Um, I'm still waiting for actual spring to arrive for things to get green. I did hear some pretty birds chirping this morning, and that's always a nice sign. Just the migration is beginning. And so there are a lot more singing birds, which is the sign that we're, we're very close to some warmer weather here. How about you? Very nice. Well, I heard the birds singing too when I watched the sunrise this morning. It's almost like very interesting timing when the sun rose, then the birds, like you, you see like lots of birds like flying out and they, they mm -hmm. kind of, uh, they're, they're just singing. It's very kind of a joyful moment for them. Yeah, they're, they're definitely following Dao. Yes, absolutely. And I know today we're we're continuing our exploration back through the beginning of Tao Te Ching, and we're going to talk about chapter two today. And so I'm wondering if you would be willing to read the Chinese text, and then I'll do a translation. All right. Okay. Let me get started with the Chinese. Ancient texts. 天下皆知美之为美, 圣人处无为之事，行不言之教，万物作言而不辞，生而不有，为而不恃，功成而弗居，不为弗居，是以不去。嗯，I always love hearing you you read. I I know we take turns, but it's always a joy to get to hear your reading. Yeah, maybe one day I will read in uh, one of my uh, one of the local dialects. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's, let's talk about that. Um, so this this one, I did a translation, and I think this is a perfect chapter that kind of gets into the philosophy of dialectics that are common in um, Taoism that we have this. Um, comparing and contrasting um, how different aspects of a spectrum really define each other. And it, it, it's, it's what really moves away from binary thinking, from black and white thinking, into a mode of thought that talks about wholeness. I mean, and that's one of the common themes of Taoism, the wholeness of, of things. And so I'm going to do a, a translation that breaks down 
what you just read. Everyone knows that beauty that acts beautiful is ugly. Virtue that acts virtuous isn't virtuous. It follows that existence and non-existence mutually specify coming forth. Difficult and easy mutually specify completion. Long and short mutually specify shape. High and low mutually specify height. Musical tones mutually specify harmony. Before and behind mutually specify following. Therefore, the sage accomplishes things without contrived actions, teaches with actions, not words. Everything happens and nothing is refused, gives birth but doesn't possess, acts but does not cling to, accomplishes but doesn't claim credit, not taking credit is why it doesn't depart. Perfect. Love it. There is a, a lot of this theme is, I mean, the, the, the subtleties in, in this chapter of kind of going through it again, there was another layer of kind of revelatory experience during this translation where it really sunk in how when you take a contrived action, mm -hmm. you're actually creating the opposite. And it struck me in a way that it just was a new kind of experience. And, and I'm, I'm glad that I had that experience. You know, the, the idea that when people act beautiful, we see it as ugly or when people act virtuous, but it's because they're trying to, you know, be coercive or manipulative, we see it as not being virtuous. And, and so it really struck me just the way that Lao Tzu put this together to show the importance of not being contrived. And, and so mm -hmm. it made, you know, the, the notion of Wu Wei, which is, this is the first chapter where that um, arises as being so important can and i'm wondering if if you can talk a little bit about um your reaction to to this chapter in general right well when i heard your translation i was reminded of a uh a, a, an ancient chinese uh idiom which goes um when the water is so is too pure, there's no fish living in it. I love that one. Yeah. So fish, you know, survival of fish depends on the really the mixture of the the purity of the water, but also some muddy stuff, mm -hmm. you know, in it. Yeah, just like our, our own bodies are we know our, our own bodies are fifty percent bacteria. And without those yeah. bacteria we actually couldn't even exist. If we just had pure human cells, we would die. That we require half of our body mass to be bacteria to even exist in this environment. Exactly. How, however, 
ironically, when we look around our world, we see, you know, a lot of the things going on that one group or, you know, or the power that be tries to dictate, you know, the standard, you know, what is good, what is correct, you know, what is the right way to deal with the pandemic, stuff like that. So that it comes to mind too. When I yeah, trying to create that that purity and and this political purity, and, yeah, and each side believes they have a monopoly on purity and and they have to cleanse the water of all the impurities. Yeah, yeah, and see the consequences. You know, uh, in the even though these things are done in the name of our higher higher ideals or smart decisions, but the consequences are, you know, people dying and suffering, you know, you know, during the lockdowns and, mm. and then people are divided when we need people united. So you, early on, you talked about the, the, the whole, the, the wholeness mm. and, um, and, and also that kind of unity. Right, mm -hmm. where I feel like, in so many different ways, we're splitting the unity. We're mm -hmm. just tear things apart. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and then there's not that flexibility. Then where, I mean, certainly, there was a period of time in the pandemic where it did make sense for people. Hey, that's just kind of stay home and make sure that we're we kind of can can see what's going on with this mm -hmm. disease and, and try to figure it out. But then there was also certainly a period of time where being at home and locking down because, you know, there was treatments, there's vaccines, we understood it more that people suffering mental health issues, people becoming right. depressed, people isolated, people dying alone because people couldn't even be with them. I mean, then that no longer made sense. So mm. by claiming that there's one right way and being mm. rigid with it, again, it, it, it leaves us that perspective of, of wholeness where it's like, oh yeah, we, we've got to follow Tao here. We have to follow him, see what makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So why do you think that the human tendency is to want to carve up existence into good and bad, right and wrong, virtuous, not virtuous, and, and kind of cling to our narrow view of things. What's that all about? My guess is um, it has something to do with the, the notion of self. Um, because that exists, you know, boundaries are drawn. So mm -hmm. self is uh, is something like felt to be or perceived to be uh, separated or distinct from the rest of the, the whole. Hmm. Um, but even you look across different philosophies or traditions or uh, you think it's kind of interesting just to 
think a little bit about this notion of self. For example, in Buddhism, my understanding, you know, I'm not an expert in Buddhism. My understanding is there's a uh, almost like a denial. Uh, it's it's a no, it's a thought that self is imaginary. Mm-hmm. There's no basis for you know rea- of the reality of self. So that's the Buddhist idea. While Confucianism, you know, uh, it's it's about self is uh, probably defined by social relations, right? So yourself is always related to, you know, your role of being a son or a a father or a, you know, a minister, things like that. It's based upon relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I find, I personally, I found a Taoist itself is, uh, it's an interesting one. I don't, you know, from everything I read about Taoism, I, you know, I don't feel like it, it, it acknowledges the existence of self, like uh, 10,000 things. I mean, it, it all coming out of that, um, that Taiji uh, or Wu or, or something, there, then there's many variety of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is different, I guess, from Buddhism, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's not as constrained as the Confucianism. So that, so in other words, uh, Taoist idea of self seems to me like uh, there's a reality to self, but not to go too far, not to be constrained. It's more- So fun. that gives you freedom. So we all let's cherish of being ourselves. And, uh, and uh, but at the same time, let's not limit its possibilities. There's so many manifestations of it. So don't either, you know, limit that by your own ego, false sense of ego, or um, or by the social conventions. So that's what I love it. I'm with you there. The, you know, just Lao Tzu really encourages us to not put ourselves first. So that that's the first thing, right? Like the, it mm-hmm. comes from this, he says there's a self, but we shouldn't be selfish. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a good way of putting it. Yes. And that's very aligned with um, even modern psychology that talks mm-hmm. about self as context versus self as content. So mm. really encouraging mm. us, you know, rather than seeing ourselves as all these identity constructs, like mm. I'm a smart person or I'm a failure or I'm a doctor or I'm a, da- or even like I'm a Taoist mm. that it's, it's more beneficial for our psychological health. If we see ourselves as the experiencer of our lives that, you know, we are this context that our lives unfold within. And yeah, there's going to be periods of our life where we're, we're taking actions as a father or as a scientist or as a person walking through the woods or as someone drinking tea, et cetera, et cetera. We don't have to identify with the content. 
what we can do is just experience how Tao is flowing through us in our lives. See, when I hear what you're saying, you know, there is a sense of uh, lightness mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. If you see what I mean, mm -hmm. when you see, you know, when you understand it as a context, because the content it could be very heavy, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> it can be filled with so many things. Yeah. And sometimes it's just overburden us. It's yeah. like a baggage. It is baggage, but you look at our society and how it's actually doing the opposite of what psychology tells us to do. It, it's saying mm -hmm. we should identify with anything that we can mm -hmm. that is kind of superficial or something that happened to us or, um, you know, identifying with the content and, you know, mm -hmm. lot. Lao Tzu and psychology kind of encourage us to do the opposite. Mm. I feel in this age we're living in, we need it more than ever to have that uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, in a human society, we do need uh, active engagement. But I find so many people, sometimes including myself, going too far uh, and kind of get confused and get lost in that kind of involvement. Mm. So trying to strike a balance between, you know, uh, there's a certain level. Uh, I think it would be bad if everybody kind of disengages from the world and, and become a hermit and yeah. right. So we all play it kind of different roles in society. But we, we played in that kind of role in such a way with a sense of maybe um, objectivity or detachment, uh, but not totally get like, almost like um, drunk or confused or lost in the, act in the activities. Yeah, I think that there's, um, so, there, there's something implied here in this chapter about how to accomplish things without contrived actions, and that's kind of what you're hinting at. But there's, there is a big leap in logic in this chapter between Lao is kind of spelling out the interdependence of all mm -hmm. these qualities of the universe, these dialects right. that exist. And then he says, you know, because of that, that's why the sage uses woolway or kind of, you know, not taking contrived actions to accomplish things. Can you help fill in that gap? Because Lao Tzu doesn't spell it out. He just kind of jumps from illustrating the dialectics to saying, you know, and because of that, that's why the sage uses woolway. Can you help fill in that? Yeah, gap? yeah. Let me give it a try. My first thought is, when you see a lot of, in the sage here, I mean, this is, Dao De Jing is a handbook for leaders, right? Lao Tzu gives mm -hmm. advice. Yeah. 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 So uh, he used the term sage. Um, what I see a lot of times uh, in, in the world, in executive coaching, for example, um, I see effective leaders 
they the higher they get, the more the few words sometimes they say, because the consequences of their saving a lot of the uh, too many words is that people take their words and make them into orders. Mm. Um, so I think in terms of Wu Wei, uh, maybe part of it is um, the leaders should always, you know, have that whole picture in mind, all kinds of dynamics and forces, and refrain from making like taking sides or making a one-sided judgment. Mm. That is the most dangerous thing in that position of power. Mm. And tell me more about that danger. Why is that dangerous to take sides? Well, the take sides because when in a lot of the things, a lot of times the, the opposites, uh, they oppose each other, but they complement each other. So it is that creative tension that tends to produce, you know, at one point, eventually, you know, um, a harmonious whole. Mm -hmm. So if you, the, the, the leader is taking a drastic position and interfere so prematurely, it may, uh, you know, cut short the, the process of letting things play out naturally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, it, it, Lao Tzu is really saying people don't have to control things so much. And when we try to control things, we're actually interfering with the natural forces of organization. And a lot of times that actually creates disaster. Yeah, yeah. So that is, that can be part of it. Basically to, um, let the interdependencies of factors of forces work out by themselves. Um, of course, you know, the, the leader is always watching. I mean, it's not like basically it's, it's trying not to pay any attention. Right. I think the attention is always there. Uh, but watching as opposed to, you know, taking unnecessary, uh, you know, complicating or conflicting, uh, you know, uh, actions. The other thing is, I think that's another layer, which is not let the leader's self or ego be another part of it. That's another compounding factor. Mm -hmm. So if the, you know, people see the leader, uh, you know, is really um, hungry for credit. Mm -hmm. um, actually, there are people who are around him or her uh, may create it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the leader will fall into that trap. Can you give me, so I, can you give me a couple examples of, of both of those kind of scenarios? One where if, if the leader kind of takes sides or kind of gets in the way of things, how it can create failure and also an example of falling into one of those traps. Yeah. Yeah. 
for example, in a lot of the, the meetings, uh, let's say uh, in a particular company, um, you know, people are talking about future directions of the company. There are always uncertainties around it. So uh, different people who have different views, they bring in all the market research, they bring the data, mm. uh, but they always they uh, are very careful in hearing between the line what the leaders stand. So they very naturally align themselves to the leader's perspective. So leader has the leader, if the leader truly wants to have a good debate, a good, well thought, thought out discussions, uh, he or she is better off uh, to remain more neutral and facilitate the discussions without express, you know, explicitly stating out his or her opinions upfront to influence this discussion. So yeah. that's yeah, makes me think that's of the example. forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the uh, so the, to answer the second question, uh, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, people who uh, work closely with the leaders, they understand his or her personalities, you know, uh, you know, whether that person is really like people to, you know, speak highly of him or her, uh, you know, what, you know, the, 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 what's the, 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 the source of the ego satisfying things. Yeah. So people tend to, uh, accent that. And, uh, so leaders need to be very clear minded and not, uh, you know, really like become deluded by all those, you know, flatteries. Yeah, that one makes me think, I mean, just to kind of connect the dots with those two, just mm -hmm. a great leap forward with, with Mao that, mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously there was this urge to um, create all of this um, kind of return to more agricultural kind of mindset that, you know, the wanting people to kind of be closer to um, the, the the earth and that sort of thing. But because the the people around Mao wanted to please him so much that when he would ask for reports on, you know, how how much rice was being right. grown, they would inflate the numbers because they knew like he needed to hear a certain number or else he was going to be very angry. And so that's what resulted in so many people starving to death because rather than being clear minded, there was this culture of you have to tell people what they want to hear or else the consequences will be severe. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, there was an anecdote that uh, during, you know, during that time, uh, one of his, uh, uh, you know, uh, assistants, uh, went to, uh, you know, join the family, uh, you know, reunion uh, during the, the Chinese, uh, you know, uh, Chinese New Year. Mm -hmm. But Mao actually made an assignment to him and say, oh, you know, do a little bit of a, a research because he wasn't, he wasn't, he was kind of skeptical about what other people told him. Mm -hmm. So he wanted to create his own channels. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a, I mean, I see similar behaviors of corporate leaders. Sometimes, uh, let, let's say in a pharmaceutical company, 
they sometimes they went into the field and and took a ride with the sales reps mm. you know to really get a hold a good grasp of what's going on uh you know uh in the fields mm-hmm. um yeah like things like that yeah i mean and and there's obviously patterns of this we we've seen it with with lots of leaders we you know we heard um lots of stories of um you know in the trump administration the same sort of thing where it wasn't about trying to create awareness around the whole it was you know you you kind of have to tell him what he wants to hear and uh, yeah yeah uh interestingly yesterday uh i i had a, a conversation with a longtime friend uh, he told me he was reading a, you know, a, a very interesting book about uh, the political appointees in the government, mm. and uh, because of the existence of that, you know, uh, that role and and uh, and and people like that, uh, I think there's a lot of tension between the career uh, public servants mm-hmm. and uh, political appointees because. You know, sometimes when it comes down to uh, policies and, you know, things to do, uh, you know, the career uh, professional, they, they are, they perceive them as a professionals. Mm-hmm. They, you know, build up their expertise and see things, you know, in a broader view. But if the power of the political appointees is getting so strong, it jeopardizes, you know, you know, the, the professionalism. Mm-hmm. of decision making. Yeah, you see it in when each time a new administration comes in, the the political appointees go in and kind of dictate, here's the language that you need to use now on all of our websites. Like when it was the Trump mm. administration, it was like, you know, let's get rid of climate change from websites. And then mm. you know, I'm sure the Biden administration did the same thing with with things and and it's this type of behavior where it's about creating a a narrative rather than really discussing things in an honest holistic multifaceted way that's trying to get at a bigger picture that doesn't have a truth but tries to explain truth through encompassing the whole Right, right, right. And at this current moment, I would imagine a lot of the chaotic situations uh, in Shanghai, uh, in China, have a lot to do with that, like the whole uh, bureaucracy and, uh, you know, political agenda, Mm. all those kind of clashes with each other to create that chaos for the common people. Yeah, the... the, um... I mean, we're definitely seeing that same pattern now of a, a narrative was created and the narrative needs protected at all costs. And so now yes. you've got people jumping off buildings because their lives have been destroyed by a yeah. lockdown. People evicted from their apartments because it's being used as a quarantine center. I mean, we've we've seen all the videos of people being beaten and drug against their will places and and it's all to keep this narrative of you know covid zero we can't have any cases 
and again, it's trying to fight the inevitable. I mean, obviously can't contain COVID. I mean, there's limits to what can be done and they either keep fighting it to keep the narrative going and getting more and more repressive, more and more violent against the people, or just sort of look honestly at what's going and saying, Hey, we need to look at things differently. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the question is, when are we going to follow the advice of Lao Tzu, uh, you know, um, say really like the sage advice in terms of not interfering, uh, you know, let nature uh, run its own course. Yeah. Well, we, we obviously aren't in control of the powerful people at the top. Mm -hmm. it's, it's always been that way. Um, whether in the past it was the monarchy and the church that kind of did this. And before that, you know, it was the warlords and, you know, now it's, you know, the, the, the billionaires and the political class. And we just, we can't control how they go about doing things, but we can try to walk the timeless way and, our mm -hmm. own lives, what are ways, what are some practical ways that we can try to not be contrived in our own life, to not um, blind ourselves to the whole picture and really take in the whole, all the perspectives and, and, and do Wu Wei? Mm, good question. The first thing that comes to mind is uh, this non- judgmental approach to self, other people, and things in general. Um, we're all, I mean, we just look at ourselves. Um, we're all like a multitude of opposites, right? Where there's the, the, the good, the bad, and ugly in all of us. So uh, I, I think just accepted as a fact, I think goes a long way because just as you said in the very beginning, sometimes when you're trying to be beautiful and to be virtuous, you just do the opposite. You repress, you hide all the things. And you know, you try to get, get away from that natural imperfection in you. Mm -hmm. So I think you know, when we cultivate that and uh, be more self-compassionate, while at the same time, you know, continue to uh, better ourselves, improve ourselves, uh, you know, we can apply more naturally to other people around us, not to become so judgmental and critical of other people. So that's the first thing I would say. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of acceptance, which, which also is another uh, mm -hmm. dominant theme in modern psychology too, that mm -hmm. we have, th there's th the path to change is, is a paradox that so long as we can't accept we're, we're stuck. We're in this jammed up position where mm. we're, we're just fighting everything. We're struggling with everything because we can't accept it. We can't accept that there's people with different opinions. We can't accept that I'm also 
a vulnerable human being with blind spots, just like the people that I see around me that I, I don't want to tolerate their imperfections. And I also can't tolerate my own. And so long as we're in that state, we're going to be stuck. And so what I'm hearing you say is that the first step is we have to develop a lot of acceptance of, of yeah. ourselves and others. Yes, exactly. And then the second thing I would say, um, seek opportunities for kind of a diverse opinions mm. or diverse set of relationships. Um, because, you know, we naturally, we all have our preferences, mm -hmm. right? So I think that's natural. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So that's natural. We just prefer just like the smell, the fragrance. We always like want to get close to the uh, frequent flowers and get away from the stinking things, right? So that's all natural. But sometimes I feel human mind plays a very tricky role of trying to, uh, I think both our minds and also the environments mm -hmm. try to force us consciously or unconsciously to get to a place where we feel kind of comfortable. Mm -hmm. So that's where uh, not only comfortable, we even go one step further to justify mm -hmm. our way of choices. Mm -hmm. I think that's very dangerous. Yesterday, with the same friend I just shared with you about, um, uh, you know, he came to Florida uh, because his daughter just found a new home mm. in the near West Palm Beach. Mm. So, but he lives in North Carolina. Okay. So he said, it's interesting when around West Palm Beach, there are all these very nice shopping malls and, you know, very uh, well maintained gardens. It's almost like create a, uh, it's a fantasy world. Mm -hmm. And when he goes back to uh, North Carolina, he feel, well, maybe there are nicer places. There are the not, not nice places. So we got into a conversation and say, I say, which, which one, you know, do we, do, are you actually uh, more, you, you become more present? He said, actually, the North Carolina one helps us, uh, you know, be more present. Because in the very fantasy world, we can become almost like in a air-conditioned room, right? We become so static, mm -hmm. uh, like... Uh, What's the physical word, uh, the physics word for it? Stas statuses, like oh, something. Stasis, that, stasis, yeah. Yeah, yeah, status, yeah, exactly. While the change of scenes and the bad and good and bad mix, or even sometimes travel, mm -hmm. travel makes us more, travel and change makes mm -hmm. us more present. Not the the one, the, the, the comfortable situations. Yeah. And I found it's so true. Because I find every time when I when things start to change, whether you know like from a space perspective or just like myself, I have to deal with the challenges. I'm more awakened than you know. I'm more present than just like when everything is just like stays the same. 
For for sure. And I think that, you know, that's the the irony of, you know, a lot of the message that you hear and mm. our our culture about how, you know, we we need to understand uh diverse diversity and that sort of thing. But if you look underneath the the surface, there's still, or not even in the surface, but it, it's pretty obvious that there's this very explicit message that superficial diversity, yes, but not diversity of thought. As long as as long as you're interacting with diverse people on a superficial level, that's great. But they they need to all think the way that we do about things. Like for example, like you know going and talking with Clarence Thomas, even though he's black, that's probably right. not a good idea because he doesn't, you know, think the way that we do or going and talking with Caitlyn Jenner, who right. is a trans woman, but, you know, she doesn't think the way that we do. So no, you know, don't waste your time talking to them. Um, that, you know, then we're stuck. We're in the stasis. Like how has that actually changed anything if we're yeah going and you know spending time around people who have diversity in identitarian ways but think exactly the same way that we do yeah yeah i think that's the hardest part i, I almost feel like nowadays in the world people you can feel like Sometimes people want to push you to the, for whatever reason, push you to the world in order to feel secure and safe. Mm -hmm. They want you to be part of them. Like they want to ch just change you to mold you into who they are yeah. <laughs> instead of like accepting just as it is mm -hmm. for whatever reason. So our psychological space is getting narrow and narrow. You know, in the past, maybe there's a lot of uh, psychological frontier. Maybe there was physical frontier mm -hmm. that you have the, that room to just to be who you are, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you don't like a place in New York City, you can go to the way to the West. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I was wondering whether we're running out of that frontier. It seems like it, yeah. That going back, I think you you used the the beautiful Chengyu that uh -huh. you know when when there's only pure water, there's no fish. Like the it's mm -hmm. like we're running out of dirty water, the kind of good dirty water that we need to have, <laughs> a, have, a, eco, have a real ecosystem. Uh huh. I mean, we're creating this. We're doing the same thing with thought that we're doing to the environment. I mean, in our pursuit to globalize the economy, we've destroyed ecosystems around <clears throat> the world, which creates desertification and uh, mm. habitat loss that creates more viruses. And mm. we're doing the same thing with our, with our thinking that we're, we're trying to eradicate in the in the pursuit of globalization, you know, creating one global way of thinking, we're creating the same type of desertification of of thought. Mm, 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 mm. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, I think in today's world, I think there are certain values uh, seem to, uh, you know, we pro prioritize those things. For example, why do we do globalization? Because we want the cheaper goods, goods, right? We want the, uh, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. uh, efficiency, right? Yeah. Um, so those things, I I feel like somehow getting back to this chapter, it's all the opposites, right? Can we move along that continuum away from efficiency a little bit? You know, maybe mm -hmm. tolerate inefficiency a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because when we toler tolerate inefficiency, we get something more. Yeah, people just use the supply chain, for example, right? Yeah. We have more maybe local vibrancy, you know, like, mm -hmm. even though we don't, we're not part of that big supply chain, mm -hmm. you know, which probably has, you know, squeeze all the costs out. Yeah. Well, it's like, why do people love getting Chinese takeout or Indian takeout or delicious food that comes because the, the people in local areas, they had to make do with the ingredients that were available to them in that local area. And so yep. they became very inventive in how to combine flavors in unique ways to make delicious food. Exactly. Exactly. We need to do the same thing with our thinking. We need to be willing to accept the, the tension and the inefficiency of going into spaces with other people and letting that tension be there of like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> with, with, within the yep. first two minutes, I, you know, I'm trying to virtue signal either if I'm left or right and find out like, okay, is this someone I, 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 I feel safe around, whatever that word right. whatever that phrase means as if we're all children who can't tolerate the tension of having a conversation an inefficient conversation for 30 minutes to try to understand someone else that's so important you're talking about patience right yeah. sometimes i think the reason we give up very quickly right yeah. if we inst instinctively we don't like that people instead of like letting things work out because maybe the first round, you know, just, you don't like me, I don't like you, mm -hmm. uh, but it's okay, right? It's okay because mm -hmm. we all have our sort of the quote unquote natural, uh, you know, tendencies or preferences. Mm -hmm. But what if we engage more, we find more about each other mm -hmm. and then things start to emerge, interesting things start to emerge. Yeah, that's an efficient process, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it can end up, you know, be more interesting and beautiful. Yeah, that that willing to accept other people and have enough toler. I mean, patience is another word for tolerance of listening. Like, it doesn't mean that you have to agree, but they surely have something to say. Yeah, I suddenly remember, was it, you know, Emerson who said, nature is patient, patience is the 
you know, one of the characteristics of the nature. Mm. It's patient and all things get done as in this chapter, nothing gets undone. I mean, that's a, 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 a beautiful saying and, and, you know, moving out of winter and into spring, it, it's very easy to see how true that is that those long winters and how nature endures that and bears that and, mm-hmm. and doesn't insist upon it being sunny and pleasant 365 days a year. Yeah. 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 And so this, this chapter, Lao Tzu gives us this, another gift of explaining why we need to make room for differences, because really what he's saying is differences are just expressions of the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's all part of that unity, harmony. Mm -hmm. And the more that we fight that, the more problems we're creating, which is exactly the problem in our country right now and many countries around the world. Mm -hmm. So hopefully if anyone's listening, they can, you know, pass on chapter two of Tao Te Ching and the the messages that are in it. And, and hopefully we can build more of that, that tolerance, that acceptance, quit insisting so much on our way and, you know, letting the world just be beautiful by letting it be beautiful. Yes. And stop turning, creating others in our own images, right? Or turning others into our own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, David, for sharing your time again today and looking forward to the next time that we can walk the timeless way together. Great. The following is a discussion that David and I had after ending the podcast recording that still pertains to this week's discussion of chapter two. Yeah, I think that there's a huge fear. Fear, okay, yeah. That people are going to, like you were saying, that, that loss of control. There's a really good book called The Worm at the Core, and it talks about death and how through evolution, when people started having the ability to have symbolic thought because we got our neocortex, which means new bark, it's basically that Mm -hmm. part of our brain that allows us to think symbolically. Right. That's when we realized that there was a self and also that that self was going to die. That terror at that realization is then what started making us create all these symbolic things to try to keep that death fear at bay. And so wanting to control other people, wanting to control the environment, the world, ultimately it's still back to wanting to control death, which is obviously not going to happen. We're all going to die. But if you look at people from the earliest civilizations that had power, what did they do? They 
they built the great pyramids because they felt like that was how they were going to be immortal. Yeah. They built the terracotta warriors and soldiers because that emperor believed that, you know, he needed all of them to go with him to the afterlife to live forever. And it's, I mean, look at how many resources and lives were lost doing this stuff because people are so, even people with all this power and influence they're so terrified of dying that they used all of the civilization's resources just trying to to make some supernatural world real. Yeah, those symbols, right? Those symbols, yeah. whether it's mummies or it's like, the, you know, the mm -hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. I would say these people are even more scared, don't you think? Because they have a lot of stuff. Like they have lots of, yeah. you know, they, they live a life that on top of the, you know, the, <laughs> the, the societal pyramid. Yeah. They let go like, those things. Yeah. Yeah. They cling to even more. Like you look at the wealthier that people become and the more fearful they seem to become a lot of times, like they don't want to let go of any of that. Yeah. 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 So unless you're saying, unless that fear of death is somehow I would say manage, you can't eliminate that fear. Can you? I mean, as a human being, that is fear of death is, it's natural, isn't, isn't yeah. it? Just like every animal is afraid of dying. I mean, that's why like, you know, you see a squirrel running across the road and suddenly it stops and darts the other way. I mean, it's terrified. I mean, all the animals, we, that is the thing we see terrified animals all the time that are instinctually afraid of death. Of course, we're afraid of death, the difference with us is that we've, we've constructed all of our culture around trying to manage fear of death and keep those thoughts at bay. And that's what creates all of these kind of like, you know, like wasteful things, like look at status and status is all about trying to manage death, anxiety. And so we create you know, these luxury goods markets and, you know, digging gold and diamonds and gems and, you know, all the things that we do to try to preserve youth and beauty. And it's all about trying to manage death anxiety. Or and, get lost in the moment, right? In the, yeah. in the carnival things, like in the, do you yeah. think sometimes we get distracted because we don't think about it, but then suddenly you find yourself Oh, I'm already getting old, you know, like things are broken mm -hmm. down. But for a while you just see, oh, I'm in a party mode. I mean, you never yep. think about it, right? Yeah. And so I think if if we actually were more willing to talk openly about death, accept mm. it, teach people about death at an early age, get them to embrace it. I mean, even this chapter two that it says, you know existence and non-existence mutually specify each other. I mean, yeah, yeah. You can't have life without death. Everything that has arisen has arisen because something, because of all the things that died before it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. People couldn't exist unless a billion trillion organisms died before it. I mean, that's why there's people because of how many things died to lead up to human beings. Mm -hmm. So why are we so selfish? Yeah. So, so you're saying that 
there are some wasteful ways of evading death. But there are, are there better ways? One of the better ways is to face it, accept it, and talk about it, right? That's the uh, more, uh, how would you say it? But that's not <laughs> what people don't usually do, right? They don't, they, they just postpone it as much as possible. Are there other better ways of dealing with this instinctual or this kind of natural fear of death, you think? Through yeah, I think it, yeah, I think if people understood how much that they're spending their lives just trying not to think about death and dying, then like with everything, you get more psychological insight. So then you understand a lot more why you're doing the things that you're doing. And so instead of running around, being pushed around by unconscious desires, many of which have been programmed into us by the cultures that we're in, mm -hmm. and ultimately go to just benefiting other people, then we could actually understand what would create more meaning for us. We would understand a lot more the preciousness and the value of this life, and we wouldn't be so willing to squander our existence. Ah, ah. A lot of, yeah. you, you start to acknowledge the brevity of life. Then yeah. because of that brevity, you want to make better use of it. And that better yes. use of it is to do good or help others, but not do good in the sense of exchange for more status. And then, <laughs> right. you see what I mean? Like it's becoming simpler yeah. uh, as opposed to going mm -hmm. a big run, a big beating around the bush. To, yeah. to satisfy, do you see what I mean? Like exactly, the original is the fear, right? The fear of death. Then anyway. you say, "Oh, I want to evade that. How can I evade that?" Okay, I I will just uh, have all these things. Da da yep. da da. There's a big big way. But now we're talking about see, death mm -hmm. is part of life, right? Yep. Life, that time period expressing this way is brief. Mm -hmm. Yep. So let's treasure it. Mm -hmm. Let's know someday we'll die. But since we're still alive, let's do these, these things. Not yeah, waste exactly. our time doing. Exactly. Like look at all the people that take safe, secure jobs doing meaningless work that they oh, hate. Oh my God, yeah. But, but they stay in it because they think it's keeping them alive. Like that, that's the thing that they, they feel safe and secure in. They're afraid that not doing it will mean their demise, but then the consequences, they actually waste their whole life doing something that they don't care about. Like maybe they want to be sitting in the sunshine or like breathe some, right. Yeah. I mean, there's so much worthy, I mean, worthy yeah. things to do. Yeah, and people trade it for security all the time. I mean, that's that's they trade their freedom for security because they're afraid of death, they're afraid of dying, they're afraid of their life ending. And so that's the trade-off that people take all the time because they think it's going to keep them that's what's going to preserve them because they're not willing to actually accept you can do all that and you're still going to die. And then you wasted your life in the process. Well, I wish I had recorded this part. <laughs> Gosh.